Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so write to us at podcast at drawnandpaneled.com. And if you enjoy what we do, please take a moment to support us by becoming one of our patrons at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Welcome back, Drawn and Panel podcast listener to episode 22 of the Drawn and Panel podcast. With me as always today is Jason. Hey, everybody. And John is here. Hello there. On today's episode, we find out about the next Ninja Turtle, discuss some new info on a DC film, and read a book based on one of our favorite TV shows. But first... But first! (laughs) (laughs) My favorite part of the show, we've got some Twitter email this time. So it's not regular email, it's actually Twitter email. A little while back, I posted a question on our Twitter account, and I asked everyone what their first memories were of comic book collecting or reading. And one of the responses we got was from a person named Shard Vixen. Mm. And Hmm. Shard Vixen said, my grandmother had this big box that my uncles and aunts would throw their comics in. The box was in this way cool, at least to a kid, Coke closet. <laughs> you know, as a kid, you're always running Place in there to hide. To hide. Yeah, right. Of yeah. yeah. Says, I remember peering in it at around four years old and seeing Spider Man, Batman, and Superman. I didn't learn to read them till two years later, but I did. <laughs> that's <laughs> that a, cool a pretty, memory. right. You know, that's a fun time when you're like between four and eight years old, you're picking up your first comic book for the first time. I don't know about either one of you gentlemen, but my first experience was, you know, going to the grocery store and seeing it on the spinner rack with mom and picking one up and I I want to say it was probably a Superman comic book if I remember right. What about you guys? It, grocery store. Uh, my mom I think bought us an Incredible Hulk comic and tried to read it to us, but she had no idea what was going on and thought we were too <laughs> young for it. But we, yeah, I always liked superheroes because I had coloring books with Spider Man and then those color forms. So oh, I would remember. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah I'm, as a kid, always being mesmerized by that. And then when I got older, I was able to get comics at the grocery store. I know my early memories were that uh, n- never the superheroes, really. I really was, uh, I was more into like a Casper and Richie Rich. Richie Rich was a big one. Oh, uh, sure. Or oh, yeah. the uh, uh, Scrooge McDuck and his three nephews. That was a big book that I would get. And I would always get those books at the convenience store on the way to going fishing with my dad and my uncle because <laughs> I, I <laughs> didn't like fishing. fishing? Okay. I didn't like fishing, but I was going. That was the problem. And so I got comic <laughs> books. And I always remember the story they would tell. I don't remember this, but they would say that they get pissed off because I'd put out the line and read the comic book and I'd get a bite and they wouldn't and I'd reel it in or they'd reel it in and I'd throw out another line read the comic books but I wasn't even trying and doing better than them <laughs> but I was just reading Richie Rich yeah You're like give me the damn catching book, fish. Huh? What are you doing? <laughs> we've got a lot more of these Twitter responses we'll bring them up in future episodes and everything but I think it's really important for us to remember our roots as far as what we first enjoyed about comic books so I thought it was a fun little Twitter email and I'm glad we got to talk a little bit about it yeah that's really cool. Thanks, Shard Vixen, for writing in. And we've got quite a bit of other stuff to talk about today, so let's jump into the episode right after this. Small webs, big webs, Spider-Man webs are catching webs. Webs around fingers, webs around legs. Webs, webs, web spinning Spider-Man. Web spinning Spider-Man with flyaway action pack and web spinning fluid by Mego. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? 
Hey there, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. I'm John, and along with Mo, hey everybody, and George, hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. Your dinner french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. George and John, it's time to discuss what's happening in the comic book world. Well, Jason, what is happening in the comic book world? Well, a kind of a big thing is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have a new member to their team. Yeah, I saw that. Now, okay, so this new Ninja Turtle, which, by the way, it's been 700 years and there's always been just four, one, two, three, four Ninja Turtles. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to... Is this person really a new member of the team or is it just somebody who has had something happen that they've become a Ninja Turtle? Because I read the article that you posted for us and Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure that this person is a member of their team yet. It's hard to tell with. uh, So basically for our listeners that don't know, there was a female member of the Foot Clan that was an ally to the Ninja Turtles. She's mortally wounded and then a blood transfusion from Leonardo turns her into a turtle. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, you know. Infected her with turtle blood and now she turned it. (laughs) Basically, I mean, it was like a blood transfusion. Yeah. Uh, Comic book science. Yeah. Not special. I get it. I mean, it's just kind of odd, but, you know, being a member of the Foot Clan, it, and the character's name is Jenica, by the way, I, I thought they were against the Foot Clan. The last time I read anything about the Turtles, you know, back in the 80s or 90s or whenever <laughs> it was, you know, they were always at odds with the Foot Clan. Are they now, like, allies or something? They are friends. Uh, so apparently this is kind of a, I guess, new canon, basically from the IDW series that started in the early mid 2000s. Uh, and okay. so at some point, uh, I think there was a rift in the Foot Clan and Splinter, Master Splinter, the rat took over a section of the Foot Clan and she is a you know, kind of a a student of Master Splinter. So she's apparently a friend of the Turtles, has a romantic relationship with Casey Jones, the hockey mask Yeah, I saw that. Hmm. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, I don't know if she's going to stick around. They've already had, you know, some art released of what she looks like in her get up with the yellow, uh, yellow mask and, you know, some claws and looks like she has a bow and arrow too. So. So was she already a teenage and already a ninja and now she just became a mutant turtle? Is that what's added on here? Oh, okay. What's with the naming? I mean, if this is a Ninja Turtle, is Jenica a classical artist or is this a a break from form? Well, you know, now I'm going to look that up, right? <laughs> well, it's certainly not a instantly recognizable, you know, classical yeah, it's artist. Yeah, not a you would Donatello know. or Michelangelo. Right. 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 Yeah. Maybe they'll change her name to something renaissance you know, after she... <laughs> Which ones aren't used? What could we use? Oh, boy. Man, I don't know. I can't... You know, I can only name those four, and it's only because they're Ninja Turtles. <laughs> it's because they're Ninja Turtles, Ninja otherwise Tur- you wouldn't exactly. know. <laughs> That's the only way I know, and I wouldn't have known them if it wasn't for that, probably. I'd know Michelangelo. Everybody knows Michelangelo. Mm-hmm. She could be but Van Gogh, maybe. Van Gogh? He's is that later. that same era? 
No. Oh, yeah. no. Oh, now who? Wait no. a minute. <laughs> Putting turtle blood in somebody is okay to turn him into a turtle, but if I'm in the wrong era with my classical artist, I'm way off base. Yeah, You're that way works. off, man. Yeah, okay. Right. Well, we, <laughs> look, we know who paid attention in humanities class now. So. <laughs> and who didn't pay attention in life sciences. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. Well, let's move on to another piece of news then. We have had so far this year five different comic book based superhero style films right and we've got one more to go this year and this year's final superhero comic book based film is not a superhero at all it's a supervillain it's the Joker I've been looking forward to this film for, ever since I saw the first trailer yeah, to it's the Walking Phoenix. Phoenix one that we talked yeah. about yes. episodes ago yep I mean he looks incredible he's mm-hmm. all bony and grisly and nasty looking but he's also got this weird humor thing with him and he just breaks out laughing at no reason so there's a an article out there and apparently Todd Phillips says that this is not going to follow any of the comic book canon at all. This is a completely original script. It's just what they said. If they had a Joker character, where do they think they would come from? That's totally fine by me. It doesn't bother me at all. I mean, because first of all, I'm not <laughs> I'm not invested in the comic book mythology in the background. And and what I do know about it, I got a feeling it's pretty well been treaded and retreaded over and over with the existing in, you know incarnations of the Joker. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think that makes me look more forward to it because you're going to do something new that I haven't kind of already seen a flavor of. Well, especially, you know, we talk about that a lot when they when they do do something from the comic book world, they get criticized for not doing it well half the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they left this out or they didn't follow this storyline or something. Or it's other. usually be, and it's, they're upset comic book nerds like you and Jason. Well, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then when they when they choose to go off on their own tangent, then they get criticized for that. Right. I think. I kind of like them trying something new and experimental. I think the bigger part of this is that they wrote this entire script with Joaquin Phoenix in mind in the first place. Like mm-hmm. they even said in the Good. article, they had a picture of him above their monitors as they were writing the script, hoping huh. that he would sign on to do it. I think that's evident when you look at the trailer. I mean, could you see anybody else playing that role? Like I couldn't see Jared Leto doing this. I know he was Joker, mm-hmm. you know, in another DC yeah. film. There's no way he pulls off this role that Joaquin Phoenix is going to do in this film. No. And people, some friends of mine that are Batman fans, but they're not, you know, either from the film or they've read a couple comics, they're kind of upset that they're not following along. But the Joker has such a weird history, like nobody really knows where he came from. You know, he'll tell a story, but then it's, you know, he doesn't even remember where he comes from or how he became the Joker. And, you know, the New 52, I believe the DC relaunch a few years back, revealed that there were actually three Jokers. So his history is all over the place. So to make up a new one for a film, I don't have a problem with it. No, I think it's kind of goes in line with what the Joker's origin story is. It's always changing. It's always Mm -hmm. different. And nobody really knows, including him, as you said. So I think it's perfectly in line to have the film do the exact same thing. What I've seen in the trailers from how Joaquin Phoenix appears to be portraying it, it actually has a bit of an echo of the Heath Ledger portrayal, which is totally mm-hmm. cool with me. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Heath Ledger, you know, he'll go down in history, at least until this film comes out, as one of the best Joker performances <laughs> ever. This film might be on par. It'll obviously not be part of a DC comic book canon universe, which is perfectly fine with me as well, because then when they decide to do the next Joker thing with Suicide Squad or whatever, they can go back to Jared Leto if they really like him. I thought he was okay. I didn't think he did that great of a yeah, job. Was, he, he was, was kind of right. <laughs> 
Yeah, he, he was kind of forgettable, really, mm-hmm. and the Joker shouldn't be. So. It's actually a refreshing kind of swing back of the pendulum. How about we do a movie that is not in support of some giant cinematic universe? Just do a good movie. That's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, yes. that's what I'm hoping. As long as they just do a good movie, I'm on board with this new Joker film. Mm-hmm. And so when does this one come out? Do you know? Yeah, actually, Joker arrives in theaters on October 4th. So oh, just a, a couple of short still. months away. Oh, it's a long way. for. I want to see mm-hmm. it. I'm actually really it's interested. It's a little too long to throw into my A-list yet. You know, and they don't have advanced <laughs> yeah. Tickets, you tie, yeah, you don't want to tie up that slot. <laughs> but I'm definitely, as soon as they get advanced tickets, I'm probably going to stick this one in an A-list slot and just wait on it. I think so, too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Three grand prizes per picture. The most original villains win. <laughs> Holy Hollywood. Post-superheroes create a villain contest. Details on specially marked boxes of Alphabet, Super Sugar Crisp, Honeycomb, and Pebble Cereals. Welcome to the Drawn and Paneled Hot Seat Interview. In this part of the show, we sit down with a special creator, writer, artist, or celebrity from the comic book world to find out what makes them tick. Today's guest is Alberto Diramas, creator of Alien X. Alberto, how you doing, buddy? How you doing, man? I'm fine. Very happy to be here uh, in the Drone and Panel podcast. Is uh, I mean, I'm honored. Well, we are honored to have you here. We love the independent creator comic book world, and that's why we love having you guys on. I'm going to dive right in and ask you real quick, where were you born? Where's home? Oh, Puerto Rico. I'm from Ponce, Puerto Rico, right in the south of the Caribbean, Caribbean island. Wow. Puerto Rico. Okay, nice. Yeah. Okay. So... <laughs> You obviously got into the comic books at a great time for indie creators and everything, but tell us a little bit about your work in the comic book industry. Is Alien X your first property or have you done other things? Well, uh, it's my first uh, creation in the United States, uh, but um, I've been working in comic books and uh, uh, sketches and illustrator for different companies in Puerto Rico, like Norma Publishing. They're the one who created uh, educational uh, storybooks for children and uh, also for newspapers like El Nuevo Día and uh, also uh, La Perla del Sur. And um, I uh, basically in those newspapers, I was doing a, a, a very successful uh, comic strip for uh, for a long time. Then when I decided to move uh, to United States, I ended up in Orlando, Florida. And uh, over there, I found uh, a very local but big uh, newspaper for Hispanic community called La Prensa newspaper, and um, I just offer my services, uh, offering the same uh, comic strip that I used to to do uh, back in Puerto Rico. And the guy loved the my, the concept of uh, tell the kids. Uh, it was marketing for for children, but also to uh, bring that uh, elements of culture between the storyline of the comic strip. And he liked the idea and uh, he gave me the opportunity and I worked with this company for almost 10 years. Tell us a little bit about the thing you're doing now. Tell us about Alien X. Give us like a little brief 30 second elevator description of the book. Well, Elian, the name is Elionox, not Alien X. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm using, it's, I know it looks like Alien X because the, the face of the character is between the word Alien and the last letter X, but the, the face is doing the, uh, is like an O right there. So, oh, okay. Uh, and um, Elionox is, uh, is a story that um, uh, I really was uh, into it because um, I want to portray it 
how you need to solve your inner issues first, your inner demons, before trying to solve somebody else's problems or to try, before trying to save anybody, you need to save yourself first. And uh, based on that, this character was born. And uh, it's a guy that uh, suddenly is contacted by your inner being that suddenly he realized inside him is a whole universe, a civilization in the in, in middle of war, is a problem going on. And this guy contact the character uh, asking for help to bring the balance. So uh, it's like two stories on this, at the same time. Inside wow. him, he have a, have a whole story going on. And outside, they start like fighting between other people that practically is <laughs> the same thing is happening to other people, but some are good and some are bad. Tell us a little bit about what your inspiration for the story in the book were. Well, I'm 45 years old, so I, I'm really into the 80s. And uh, uh, the first time I started thinking about a story like this was when I was uh, enjoying a movie of Steven Spielberg called Inner Space. Mm, um, yeah, <laughs> with with Dennis Quaid, <laughs> that, Dennis Quaid, uh, right? Yeah, and Martin Short. <laughs> Martin Short, yeah. The Martin Dennis Quaid was inside Martin Short <laughs> and was tr trying to communicate with this with this guy, and I was so overwhelmed. Like I was like, "Oh my god, this story is amazing!" Now, Alberto, before we get out of here, we've got a special segment for you. Our four. Rapid fire questions of death. Are you ready, sir? <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> let's do it. Okay. Question number one, your favorite Muppet. My favorite, oh, uh, Kermit. Okay, nice. Kermit. It's not easy <laughs> being green and you've got the alien guy with it. That's awesome. <laughs> Question number two, a guilty pleasure you're ashamed to admit to. Oh my God, a guilty pleasure. I need to go with the cinnamon bun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I'm right there with you. That's one of mine too. <laughs> Question number three, your favorite 80s film or TV show? Oh, Star Wars. Uh, oh, okay. Need to, need to be there. Uh, yeah. That's one of my favorites. That's an awesome one. Final question, your favorite comic book or character that you did not create yourself? Oh, my God. Uh, I need to go with Spider-Man, man. The amazing Spider-Man Spider is my favorite. Yeah. Nice. Um, and uh, also, I'm a... I think I'm a, if in taste, I'm a kind of a hybrid because I love Batman too. So I'm Marvel okay. slash DC <laughs> fan. Both we'll give characters. you both of them then. We'll yeah, give you Spider-Man and Batman. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Alberto, before we get out of here, tell everybody where they can find all your stuff. Well, right now, digital formats are available almost everywhere. Comixology, Amazon, Kindle Fire, uh, iBooks and Apple, and um, uh, basically uh, just search for for the comic book and you will find it uh, digital um, in all the uh, official formats. But and that's in, Alien you, Knox, not Alien, Alien Knox. X. A L I E N O X. Yeah, and if you want a paperback copy, uh, you can get it through Amazon or. Uh, going directly to my uh, webpage, thearmascomics.com, and you can get it there and I can send it to you uh, signed and uh, also nice. with some other gift too. I like to include stickers and all the funny fun stuff inside the comic. 
Alberto, we're happy to be a part of the process as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me here, man. And listeners, we'll be back right after this. Its strength is its great taste. Mmm, delicious. Smooth and creamy, a real fresh roasted peanut flavor. It's nutritious too. The good housekeeping seal must be good. It did taste terrific. Superman peanut butter. Its strength is its great taste. That was a really cool interview with Alberto Dirma. So let's talk about his book first. Alien Ox issue mm-hmm. number one comes from his own publishing line, Dirma's Comics. And the synopsis is, in this issue, you'll be introduced to Donovan. And with him, you will explore his journey that ultimately will force a modern but remarkably unusual and unique hero. Expand your mind to a new adventure in a planet called Alien Ox. It is remarkably unusual. I will absolutely agree with that. <laughs> that, is, that is true. I went through that synopsis two or three different times because I was having a hard time reading it as it was written by the person who is not a native English speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alberto natively speaks Spanish, and he had to convert all of his dialogue over into English, and he used a person to help him do that, but I don't think they did him any favors. They didn't really, <laughs> I I'm hope they didn't do a good job because it comes off like formal in places when it shouldn't be. Right. It should be a little more like off the cuff and more slang and it's a little more. Yeah. yeah. That's what you mean. Yeah. 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 Throughout the book. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. So for me, that was one of the biggest things I took away after reading the book was that it was just really difficult to read. And I wonder if it's either because of the English to Spanish translation back and forth, or if it's because we're running into one of these independent comics again, where it's one guy trying to do every part of it because he did the writing, he did the art, he did the printing, the publishing, the whole nine yards. He did everything on this book. He's done up to three issues at this point. But do you think that he's taken on too much? I mean, to me, it didn't quite hit home this book. Yeah, he may have been taking on too much. I mean, you know, good on him for trying to get his story out. um, And he may not have had any help. Um, To me, the art was a little stiff. Also, it kind of felt like I was playing like an old computer game where you have like the image um, on the screen and then below the text just kind of fills in. And, you know, there's not like, you know, Mm -hmm. anybody kind of moving from frame to frame. It's all just kind of these pose shots that like some of the first Zork adventures when they first added stills to them, you know, like, you know, go into the open forest and then it was just a still of a forest. (laughs) It's a graphic text adventure. Is it though? Right. (laughs) Right. You know, there's a big splash page right at the beginning of the book. And I read this with no backstory. Like I hadn't yet known about the interview or what's going on. And it was struck me right away. And I see story, pencil, ink, color, all of it by Diarmas across the board. I'm like, wow, this is like one guy cranking it out. And and it's there are parts of it. It feels like he is. It feels like he's a guy who is a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Like he's a pretty good writer. He's a pretty good artist, but he's a pretty good inker. He's a pretty good colorist. And by the way, he does better at all those than I would do. I'll go say that out front. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> me too. But, but I felt like none of them, he really was mastered. Right. And so like, I wish he would have parted out a couple of the jobs, like keep his story true if that's what he wants to keep. Um, yeah, I got that feeling of that graphical text adventure like you did. It's like sometimes there's no shading and sometimes there's like, like it's too rough a shading and sometimes it's too flat. It just felt inconsistent and it felt like someone who hasn't yet matured into his art style, even though he had a great vision for what he wanted. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and you talk about it like, you know, sometimes this was good and sometimes that was good. I wonder if it was one of the things where he was working on it here and then he put it down for a week and then he picked it back up after he got done with his regular job and did some more work. So maybe there 
there wasn't the consistency as far as the artwork is concerned. And the same thing with the story, because there were parts in the story where you and I, John, talked a little bit about it at a convention that we were just at recently mm-hmm. where I couldn't figure out where certain things in the storyline had happened when they were reported on several panels later, like people dying. And I was like, wait, when did they get killed? I don't see <laughs> right. that anywhere. And, and I'm like, I, went I, back I, said, I and remember at and it. I, we flipped back a few pages and I got, no, now I can't find it. I remember thinking yeah. I saw yeah. it, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I it ran felt into that the way same throughout thing. the whole book. You did the same thing, Jason. Yeah, I ran. I ran into the same thing you're discussing. Was when I was reading it, I kind of had a hard time following what the timeline was. Yeah, and I think that's our discussion is a little disjointed as well because it's hard to <laughs> follow through. Yeah. And I like the concept of what he's trying to do. So the concept is basically we talked a little bit about it during the interview. He wants to show how we could have entire civilizations living within ourselves. And it's based off stuff that he's read from Neil deGrasse Tyson and different things like that. So the universe within the cell, that kind of thought mentality, you know, almost like Ant-Man going down into the sub universe, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call yeah, that. The quantum, stuff. whatever. The yeah. quantum universe. Right. And so he's trying to show how, you know, that could influence the outside world. And it's also kind of the thing of, you know, how your inner self can influence what you do in your real life, that kind of a thing. So there's all those parallels. He's got a great concept, I think. And I don't remember seeing that before in comic books. I just think that so far he's not quite hitting the mark on his execution. Yeah. I, I get a feeling like he's on the right track. And one day, you know, this is going to be a collectible because like, can you, this was one of his early works done entirely by him. It's going to have great value when he finally hits his stride and figures out how how to delegate uh, and how to uh, take his vision and get it on pa- the page the way he envisions it rather than overloading himself. I think it's important to try and surround yourself with a good team when you're trying to develop a story like this or any story that matter, whether it be comic books or video games. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about with those people, indie game creators and stuff. If you try to do it all yourself, you're going to blow your brains out or go crazy or put out something that is not quite as good as if you brought on one or two people to help you out in areas where they're experts and you're not. Mm -hmm. I think that's the case here. Now, Jason, you've got a book, however, that you want to talk about that has experts all over the thing, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Black Hammer Justice League, Hammer of Justice, number one from DC and Dark Horse. Right. Which was weird. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's strange. A, a big crossover written by Jeff Lemire and art by Michael Walsh. So you basically DC and Dark Horse of of team up for the ultimate superhero crossover event of 2019. A strange man arrives simultaneously on Black Hammer Farm and in Metropolis, and both worlds are warped as Starro attacks. Batman, Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman, Superman, and more crossover with Golden Gale, Colonel Weird, and the rest of the Black Hammer gang. Whew, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but that? it's accurate. <laughs> it's accurate. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> it was a really fun book. I'm glad you brought this to the round table, Jason. I don't know anything about Black Hammer. I'd never read any of the Black Hammer stuff from Dark Horse, but I instantly felt like I knew the characters, the way they're portrayed in the first few panels. Mm-hmm. I could tell who the Superman-ish guy was and, you know, who this guy was and who that person was. And I thought it they did a really good job of it. It seems like there's a lot of parallels between the character roles. Like there's even one kid, uh, like a young, I think it's a girl mm-hmm. that looks like maybe she 
she's a Shazam type of character where she's a kid, mm-hmm. but she can say a word and become a superhero right. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's almost like a, almost like a reverse because apparently she's actually 60 years old, but she mm-hmm. looks like a little kid and can't turn back into the adult or something. Right. Like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Golden Gale. Yeah. And so I'm going to link to it in the show notes, but there's a black hammer encyclopedia. That's a 40 page kind of who's who in that universe. So, Oh, that's helpful. Okay. Yeah. So golden, golden Gale is actually like Shazam, except when she says the wizard or whoever gave the powers, she turns into a powerful 10 year old. Uh, and, oh, and, okay. Oh, so and, it is kind of a reverse Shazam. And <laughs> apparently, uh, these heroes fought this anti-god at some point and defeated him, but they all disappeared and nobody knows where they are, but they're at this, um, you know, this fo- this strange farm or whatever. So that's yeah, kind of- where time seems to progress in a different way right. than it does in whatever universe you come from, because we see, you know, they're on there and it looks like they're, they've been there for a while. And the guy's like, I got to go plow the fields, put my tractor back together. Mm-hmm. And they're going back and forth with it and everything. And then all the crazy time warp stuff kind of happens and their roles and places in the universe get switched. And then we see Superman <laughs> and he's standing there saying the exact same it, it lines. It literally repeats the same scene that, like, over yeah. with different with DC yeah. characters with Justice League in the place uh, of these, what are they called? The Golden Hammer? What'd you call them? Is that right? Like uh, Black Hammer. Golden Gale. Yeah. Black Hammer is the main guy. He's Black Hammer is kind of like Superman. And then Colonel Weird. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of them out there. It made me more interested in going to read more stuff about Black Hammer. So I'm glad you mentioned that 40 page little tutorial book, Jason. I'm definitely going to go grab that and read it. I think Mm -hmm. they did an amazing job of introducing the Dark Horse characters. It was, was, I mean, I, I also had no knowledge of them before, but it's clear they have a backstory because this is like a, for me, it's like a textbook way of how to introduce characters. Like, I don't know a ton about them, but I got a feeling of their personalities and how they interact together in just, I don't know, what, five, six pages right at the beginning there. And Mm -hmm. they felt pretty fleshed out. And so now that they're plopped in the middle of Metropolis, I think. Uh, I have an idea of how they might behave there. So I thought they did a good job of that. I'm not surprised that they're... How long has this that book been around, Jace? Oh, gosh. Uh, it, it's been around for several years. I mean, there's oh, wow. all okay. kinds of Black Hammer titles, um, and okay. it's kind of a fleshed out superhero universe for Dark Horse. It's one of the more substantial ones for Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. Mm. Are they like the Dark Horse Justice League kind of? Yeah, more or less. Cause okay, it, so that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, there's kind of a whole lineage of starting back kind of in the pulp age up to modern times of different, you know, superheroes running around and, you know, lineages and mm-hmm. uh, that kind of stuff. So very much this like- This one of those that was over before I realized it. It, w- it went really quickly, which means it was <laughs> the story moved and I'm like, okay, that's over fast. Yeah, but that's a good thing. A lot it's of times a really when the thing. story keeps oh, yeah. you there, you uh-huh. know, and it makes you also interested in seeing the next couple of issues because you're like, oh, you know, that was over a little bit before I expect to. I want to read the next issue. And that's the mark of a great comic book as long as you're wanting to read the next one. John, I got a feeling there was another comic book that you were a tad bit more interested in reading this week. There, yeah, it was the first one I read. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Twice. Because it was based off of a TV show that we have loved for the last couple of years. Yeah, when I first 
first heard that it was coming out, uh, I, I think I I told you a long time ago, I said, hey, comic book guys, if you ever see this, uh, <laughs> the Orville that was hitting comic books, I want to read it. And uh, lo and behold, it became my pick for this episode. So <laughs> the Orville New Beginnings, number one, uh, comes out from Dark Horse, written by David Goodman and uh, art by Michael Atea. Uh The synopsis is kind of on their way to fleet conference via shuttle, Ed and Gordon pick up a distress signal from a century old buoy belonging to a union ship and decide to investigate. And back on the Orville, Kelly tries to mediate when Bordis insists in rolling Topa into school, even though he's only a few months old. So from that synopsis, you ought to be able to pick up that uh, the time frame this is happening in, which I think is really neat. This is plugged mm-hmm. right in between the end of season one and the beginning mm-hmm. of season two. Right. And we definitely see some characters that, you know, we lost during season two, like Alaya. Yep. Security chief. Yep. She's, you know, it was nice to see she's her not back gone yet. in this she's still issue. There. Yeah. yeah. She's still there. I really enjoyed it. It was a really fun part one of a story because it's a part one of two. And it seems to me to be more centered in the first season's sense of humor than in the second season's sense of humor. You know, I did pick up that they did a good job of like subtle humor, not ha ha humor, but just interaction, mm-hmm. especially like between Ed and Gordon when they're in the shuttle and they, they're kind of making offhanded remarks at one another. Um, but it, it isn't the slapstick that we had at the beginning of season one. They've they've kind of they've wedged it in the middle. It is kind of a transition. Um, I'm always worried about things that are you know, mid quills because you have to, nothing can happen that you don't already, like nobody's going to die. You have to make sure that everything that happens at least doesn't mess up the beginning of the beginning of season two, but you can have right. explore a new story, at least inside of that world that they're clearly doing. You guys confirmed what I thought. I'm a casual viewer of the show. I watched the first couple <laughs> episodes of season one, but I, I got what was going on and, and they referenced things that I had seen in the show. Mm. So, and it was, it did feel, you know, I kind of got the same feeling. It felt like it was right out of the show and it was enjoyable for me, but I I had a feeling that people that watched the show would probably really enjoy it. And it sounds like you guys really liked it. Well, that's a really interesting question. So I want to ask you really quickly. So you only watched one or two episodes of the first season. Mm -hmm. Did you stop watching because you didn't like it? Or what about it? Did you not like? Or why did you stop? Um, I know I watched about five or six episodes of okay. it. Okay. Four or five. Okay. All right. Uh, no, what happened was I just, uh, I think I got, you know, busy and got a backlog on other TV shows and just never went back to pick up where I left off. Okay, because I think George would agree that like the first two or three episodes were a kind of very different show, and then they Mm kind of made a turn and made it a little more of a serious show with humor in it. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, we talked a little bit about that on the Gen X Corona podcast back when this whole thing first started with the Orville and Seth MacFarlane. We thought it was going to be just a slapstick humorous thing. (laughs) Family Guy in Space or something. (laughs) Yeah, we really thought, but we got in the first two or three episodes, it became very apparent that he was really just looking to do some serious Star Trek but with some real modern mm-hmm. sense of humor mm-hmm. stuff going on. So like what you would see if you were on the bridge of the Enterprise, but they never showed you in any Next Generation episode or Star Trek episode classic or any of the other series. I mean, people who weren't the captain where the camera was focused on them, the people off to the side who would sit there and say, what the hell did he just say? I'm not <laughs> wanting to go. We're not going there. That's stupid. That, why are we standing in front of this Pulsar for six days? We should go somewhere else. Those were the kind of things that endeared the show 
show to me, but it took probably five or six episodes. I think because it did such a good job of that, however, is why I enjoy reading this comic mm-hmm. book so much, because now I'm bought in. They got a hold of the, the balance that they finally hit by the end of the first season. And somehow I, I was I really wanted to read this like back when the Star Trek comics were a really big thing in the uh, late 90s, mm-hmm. uh, mid 90s, whatever. Uh, I collected those because, again, you know, I'm not a big uh, like superhero fan, but I was a Star Trek fan, still am. And I read I collected and read a bunch of those. And I'm just as big Orville fan, which is why I was looking forward to this. But I was Star Trek is pretty straightforward. The Orville has that weird, delicate balance of humor. And I'm so impressed the way they nailed it in this book. They've done a good job with it. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to reading part two. I hope that they continue the trend if this is successful enough and they do like these little bridge season mm-hmm. series between them. I, I think it's a very smart way for modern different properties to get their stuff out there in other media formats. We've seen this done with Stranger mm-hmm. Things. Mm-hmm. We've seen this done with Life is Strange. They're all taking advantage of being able to tell more of their stories in the comic book world. And I, for one, just love sitting back and collecting all the rewards from that. Is this mm-hmm. only a two-parter? Is that what I heard you say? It is. It's just oh, one, it's just two parts. That's a um, between. <laughs> well, but it's think about it. It's just one episode, really. I That's guess. all it is. Yeah. Okay. So you know, like you're not going to have like six comic books. Yeah, but. I'd like to see four or six because I'm really enjoying it. It was one of those, and again, mm-hmm. was over really fast, and I was mad. I'm like, I want the graphic novel now. <laughs> I want it more. <laughs> well, the nice thing is that because they're probably just telling one story, if this is successful enough in sales, it'll allow them to tell other stories, mm. and they can piecemeal them in in different time points along the continuum of the Orville. Oh, yeah. All right. And so you can see new stories and new stuff that you can't necessarily see on screen. So scripts maybe that were good, but not quite popular enough in the writer's room to make it to an episode mm-hmm. might get turned into a comic book. Or you could even take like a beeline story that didn't get used or didn't get expanded upon and expand upon it. Maybe that's that's yeah, exactly. That's, that's what this kind of venue is good for when you're taking an existing franchise and fleshing it out in comics. It's inspired me to go back and pick up where I left off on the show. <laughs> as you should. <laughs> Lois Lane and Jenny Olsen have been kidnapped. Who will save the day? You are Superman. All the powers are yours. Flight, heat vision, super speed, super strength, freezing breath, and x-ray vision. Buy early and receive a DC Comics Collector's Edition Superman comic book. Superman, the new adventures video game. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you're enjoying what we do, help us keep the lights on by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. And we love to hear from our podcast listeners, so please write to us at podcast at drawnandpanel.com. And that will wrap it up for this edition of the Drawn and Paneled podcast. Before we get out of here, gentlemen, I got one final question. I'm going to start with John. Uh Uh-oh. Should an indie creator try to do it all themselves or should they work with a team? You know, I don't want to answer that in absolutes. I I mean, obviously, that's inspired by Alien Ox, uh, that we felt that probably uh, too much was put on one creator. Uh, it depends on the aptitude of the creator, and it depends on, you know, just what their skill level is and if, how much they can take on and, and, and accomplish. But in general, if I had to give you a solid answer and not just want to, you know, waffle, I, I think it's a bad idea. I mean, take a look at what we're doing with Gen X Grown Up, you know, so it's expanded into Drawn It Paneled. It has YouTube. It has websites 
websites, it has articles. I started it, but I could not have done all that by myself. Or if I had tried, it'd have been garbage. So, you know, we bring on talented people and uh, we're a team and we delegate and it ends up with a better thing. So I think unless you are just a rock star, I think it's a mistake to do it all by yourself. Gotcha. Jason, what about you? I'm going to keep it short and simple. Uh, two heads are better than one. I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I think if you can find somebody that, that shares your passion and ideas, I, I think it's better to work with, you know, at least one other person or a team to, to get your story uh, put on put on page. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you on that one, Jason. In my opinion, one of the best things that you can have when you have a co-creator, co-artist, whatever you want to call them, is somebody playing that devil's advocate role, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have anybody else telling you, well, maybe this character shouldn't die here, then you never hear that because it's something you're not thinking of yourself very likely. Now, speaking of people who support other people, I want to take a quick moment to thank some wonderful <laughs> right? people, our patrons oh, over at yeah. patreon.com slash Gen X Grownup. And that is you, Will, Dana, Corey, Thomas, Chad, Levi, Stian, Agile, Titu, Slomo, Stubaka, Marcus, Mike, and a new person as well since the last time we talked, Greg, Yay, has joined Greg. that pantheon of patrons over at patreon.com slash Gen X Grownup. Now, we will be back in two weeks with another one of our regular episodes, but next week with our back issue edition, Jason, hit them with the topic. We're going back to the 80s and take a look at the debut of everybody's power-stealing mutant rogue in Avengers Annual 10. Right. Avengers, not X-Men, but the Avengers Annual is where she showed up, so that's going to be a Hmm. cool, fun walk down memory lane. I'm looking forward to it. Gentlemen, had a blast talking to you guys today. Jason, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. John, always appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And podcast listener, we appreciate you most of all, and we will see you guys next time. See everybody later. Bye-bye. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're also an affiliate of the Geeks Worldwide Radio Network. You can check them out at the GWW.com. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.